Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Eddie, Ed Zadolshek, legendary goalie in the Columbus, sorry, Cleveland area. Uh, Absolutely fantastic guy overall. Uh, Eddie, thanks for coming on the show. It's always great to have a Nazareth grad. Appreciate the uh, invitation. Didn't know if I'd uh, make it this far, but uh, good to be here. Happy to chat hockey with you. Yeah, first question I have for you, I want, I want to dive into this because uh, you and I played a little bit together, but even more fascinating is uh, you're part of, I want to say, the first class at Nazareth College and were able to take the reins as a starting goalie. I'm curious on your thought process and the recruiting process to go to a program that hadn't been established uh, when you really started going uh, down that track. So it's interesting as a goalie, um, and I mean, really, when you're looking at your, you know, secondary education in general, you got to see what, what fits in all that. But as a goalie, I, I know, or I knew I, I wanted to play and I wanted to be in that, um, you know, so there's a handful of schools, maybe, you know, lower division one, or, you know, even some of the better division three teams where uh, they were pretty much saying, yeah, you can come the school but no guaranteed you're you're gonna play and uh with, with Nazareth uh coach George Roll and then coach Jared DeMichael who's you know actually at, at UMass now um you know they pretty much left the door open said hey if you show up you're gonna get a lot of games you're gonna you know get the opportunity to play and, and make an impact on the program and I mean you just know from you know our experience playing together and you know even now I'm you know a gamer and, and wanted that opportunity and want a chance to you know, getting in that all four years and, um, you know, couldn't be happier with my decision. And, you know, it was an awesome experience. Gamer. That is the absolute perfect word to describe your game. Uh, absolute gamer. Uh, you had the old Dominic Hasek mask, uh, which was always fun. Uh, what's yeah. the story behind that? Yeah, that probably, uh, I don't know if that necessarily helped my college recruiting when, uh, you know, I'm I'm out there playing junior hockey in the Dominic Hasek Massex, so you probably uh, don't see those too often. Um, but uh, I was, you know, I'm not really a, a big guy as is. You know, generously listed as six foot on the uh, college rosters, probably more in that five ten, five eleven range. But uh, as a little kid, just the, the goalie helmets were always, you know, really big and awkward for me. And uh, you know, the most important part about part part being a goalie is seeing the puck. So uh, the, the goalie helmet always bounced around on my head. And uh, I just had that player's helmet, you know, all through youth hockey. And 
you know, I tried to make the switch to the actual goalie helmet, you know, later as I got bigger and it just, you know, it just felt awkward and couldn't, you know, look properly. And then uh, finally I got connected with uh, Gary Warwick and, uh, you know, Warwick mask and able to get the actual Dominic Hasek, you know, pro replica that, you know, wore all, all through college and pro. So uh, pretty unusual to see it as a goalie, but uh, definitely got a lot of uh, chirps as well as uh, some compliments from uh, teammates and, and opponents. So it was important for you to look around. So is, is that something that you felt was extremely important for your game? How did you develop that? I mean, uh, playing together, I would say that uh, no offense to any other goalies um, like Richard Zucker, but uh you know, Eddie Zidolshek was an absolute stud back there and won us a few games or at least kept us in a few games. And uh, I mean, one had to be a little frustrating how many shots you faced. But number two, uh, just the development of how many shots, how you read the game was was quite amazing. So I'm curious to hear about your thought process behind all of this. Yeah. So, like I said, seeing the puck and, and being able to focus and, and track and, and watch that thing is, you know, probably, you know, as important to be the most important thing about being a goalie along with, you know, I think skating, we can kind of touch on that later, but, you know, being able to look around and, you know, if you look at NHL goalies, their heads are always, you know, they're looking at the puck, they're looking at then the slot, they're looking at other danger areas. So, um, you know, not that I really, you know, knew that that's what they were doing at the time, but I sort of always, you know, tried to, you know, see where all five guys are at on the ice. And I think, you know, one of my, you know, greater strengths was, you know, maybe I wasn't the most technically sound goalie, you know, with those head on shots or, you know, looked apart on, you know, just making the typical save, but thought I had an act of maybe making that backdoor save or, you know, seeing a guy and getting to a puck that normally you might not get to. And, um, you know, just what I tell, you know, my goalies nowadays, it's, it's, it's important to, you know, see where all five players are on the ice and especially important to see those players that you may not, necessarily be focusing on that are either in front of the net or back door. So um, whether, you know, the helmet was, you know, a huge factor in that or, you know, kind of a combination, um, I don't know, but, uh, you know, I think it definitely played an important role for, for me, you know, being able to make those type of saves and, and to me to focus on all five guys on the ice. There's a, a gentleman down here who works for the blue jackets, former the USA hockey, uh, Dave Caruso, you probably know the name at least. Uh, if you yeah, don't we work together a few times. Yep. And he always talks about uh, he wants jungle cats. So goalies that are put in situations where they have to look around and read the game and not just get fed easy pucks. So um, with developing goalies, you know, what's your philosophy? I mean, you're uh, a head coach at some levels, you're a goalie coach, your assistant coach at others. Um, so you've got this holistic view, but I'm curious on your position that you played growing up and really have a love for goalies. How do you go about developing those players to the fullest potential? So for me, the, the two biggest areas that, um, you know, I, I look at that are important in stopping the puck. That first one, being able to find and track the puck, you know, if you can't re read a release off of a player's stick or, you know, you have trouble tracking the puck side to side, you know, it's going to be very, very hard to, to be a goalie. Um, sometimes I think you can kind of, you know, teach that and you can continue to get better at that. Um, but I think there is some part of it that you just got to be able to understand the game and know that release and, and know, 
you know, how, how a player shoots and just, you know, kind of everything behind that. So um, reading and reacting that, sh- that shot in the puck is super important for me and when, when evaluating goalies. And then the other thing that I think is, is maybe the most important part. And, and I even tell my kids, um, you know, I want my goalies to be the best skaters on the ice, not just, you know, the best goalie skaters, but um, I want them to have the best edge work. I want them to be able to, to skate in all different types of scenarios. So even in a lot of drills I do, you know, we're not doing just strictly crease skating. We'll do a lot of that, but, you know, I'll take them kind of, you know, goal line to red line doing, you know, skating on one leg, working on different edges, putting them almost in uncomfortable spots um, so that they can just kind of keep on growing and, and adapting with their skating, just because you're, you're going to be put in a ton of different situations, you know, how you stay balanced, how you move, um, super important to get square to that puck. So do you have any favorite goalies in the NHL that you, you love to watch or share clips with your kids on? It's tough. I actually asked, I ask all my, mostly all my kids, especially, you know, when I'm doing, you know, youth and minor hockey stuff, you know, who their favorite goalie is. Cause most of the time, you know, there isn't a bad goalie in the NHL to look at their skating. So um, usually, I mean, my question is, Oh, what's your favorite goalie? And yep, you should definitely take a look at his skating. It's, it's, it's elite, but um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you can uh, appreciate this guy just because, um, you know, smaller goaltender and, you know, probably one of the best goalies in the NHL is, is Yushi Saros. Um, again, not a big goalie. I know we've talked about him before, um, but the way that he's able to move and, you know, track the puck and get to his spots, you know, he, he doesn't have to be the six foot three, six foot five goalie that, you know, seems to be the norm or the, uh, you know, the specimens like uh, Velasquez and, you know, others, but, you know, Saros just can get to his spot. And I really, you know, I admire that about him and I admire his, his aggressive play, just fun to watch. And again, a good teaching point for these kids that, Hey, you know, this guy is as average and, you know, his physical traits as, as any guy and, and he's playing at the highest level. So, you know, kind of gives them something to, to shoot for. It's amazing how many pucks hit him in the chest and, you know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, hit it on the chest. Good stuff. But it's like, well, he he actually got there to begin with. Like he moved on his feet. He's got explosive skating, like cut down the angle, like unbelievable player. Could, could not pick a better player, I think. But that, you know, I'm biased. He's my favorite. I That's knew you'd like him. Yeah, you, you know me too well. Uh, the other big key with goaltending, though, and I – I'm pretty sure that, you know, maybe like one, two, three goalies each year, like in their own class, but like goalies 40 through 64 are probably around the same skill level. What probably separates them is the mental game, the mindset, the mental toughness, uh, the mental strength, whatever you want to call it. Uh, From your perspective, uh, you you were definitely uh, an outgoing personality, we'll say. Uh, and loud on the ice. So it was like, you know, are you, are you charging yourself up? Like, how did you approach it? And then how do you see other goalies that you're teaching now approaching that? And what are maybe some specifics that you're seeing out there that are really helpful for this? Uh, that's, that's funny you say that. I know, and now it's got me thinking that there's definitely a few different types of personalities, you know, out there as a goalie wise. And, um, you know, whether, you know, I think I was more of just try to, you know, fit in with the team. I was, you know, loud, given directions on the ice, you know, a little bit of an eccentric guy. 
Uh, then I think sometimes you have the goalies that are just ultra focused. They don't say a word. They're just in the zone. Um, you know, then you kind of have the goalies that are a little wacky and they're like, oh, that's that's the goalie, you know, and they kind of have that stereotype. So I think there's definitely a few different, you know, avenues you can go on, but whatever, you know, you can do with, you know, that gets you in that mind frame that you're dialing and focused, um, you know, that I think that's that's super important. Um, another aspect that I think, you know, kind of depends on your personality and how you would do it is, you know, um, you know, hitting in baseball, like it's kind of built on some failure. Like, you know, as a goalie, like no one ever in the history of goaltending has ever not let in a puck. So, you know, we all strive to have that thousand save percentage and, to, you know, never let in a goal and hate letting in goals. But, you know, when you do let in a goal or make a mistake, which, you know, you're more than likely going to at least make a mistake during a game, maybe that, you know, costs a goal or not. It's how you respond to that. Um, some goalies, if you, you know, let mistakes really eat you up and then it causes you to lose focus, you know, that's not going to benefit your performance. But if you're able to, you know, quickly realize you make a mistake, try to correct whatever caused that mistake and then move on from it, um, you know, I think that's what kind of separates some goalies uh, from having, you know, an okay mind frame to, to having an elite uh, mind frame in the nets. So that last piece I thought was super critical where we're talking about having that self-reflection, but then also having the ability to move on. Cause I feel like a lot of younger players um, and even some older ones can really struggle with getting out of their own head in that self-assessment and, you know, how terrible am I like this negative self-talk I'm curious, you know, was it ever a struggle for you to get out of your own head? Have you seen kids that they really struggle with that? Because you obviously need to have that self-reflective piece to grow. But that last piece is unbelievably critical is the ability to move on, be fresh, be clear and have that focus so you can perform the best. So that's actually two good points there. And so I'll kind of touch on, one first. So the first thing is, is self-reflectiveness and then kind of the, the mindset of, you know, where you, you know, want to be and, you know, positive attitude. So um, starting with the self-reflective, I think that's super important, you know, to have the ability as a goalie to kind of look within yourself, look how you maybe handle a situation, you know, on the ice, a play or anything like that, but then also look how you handle it emotionally. Um, you know, it's different for a goalie for a number of reasons, you know, up until recently, you know, I didn't really have like a goalie coach, you know, at my practices off, I didn't even really have a goalie coach in general, you know, probably until I got to, to juniors in college. So like, you know, there wasn't really, you know, hands-on coaching, you know, and I know even to this day, you know, a lot of goalies don't have that, you know, coach, Hey, you need to do this. You need to do this kind of pushing you. So you have to be, you know, kind of self-reflect on, Hey, how, how am I doing technically? How am I doing, you know, with these shots? Is there something I can do, you know, differently? Um, and then also kind of like the mental side of the game and really understanding it, you know, whether you're a forward, you can talk to your line mates or a defenseman, you can talk to your D pair. 
um, you know, sometimes goalie could, could talk to their, to their backup partner at the time, but, you know, for the 20 minutes or 15 minutes, however long the period is, you know, you're in that net yourself. So you can't, you know, go to your goalie partner at that time and ask them questions and, you know, kind of bounce things off them. Um, so I think it's important to kind of have that, you know, almost reflecting in the net. Okay. Hey, you know, things are getting hairy in this game situation. Maybe the balance is tilting for the other team. I need to take some whistles, slow things down. Maybe you're struggling and you're just trying to get yourself back on path or, or maybe you're just in the zone and you're dialed in and it's just like, okay, keep this going, you know, kind of positive self-talk with that. So, you know, I, that's sort of an important area. And then I guess jump into, you know, your attitude and, you know, make, making it always be positive. I think that's, that's super important. And, uh, you know, you're, it's going to sound crazy, but the attitude that I had was anytime I stepped on the ice, I wanted to be a better goalie than the goalie across from me. Um, a lot of the times, maybe the, the player was my age and, you know, it was true, uh, I know a handful of times I was, you know, opposing ends from, you know, maybe I was in high school and the goalie was a junior goalie. I know a few times maybe I was playing juniors and on the other end was a pro goalie. And, you know, maybe, you know, pound for pound, that wasn't the case that that goalie across to me was, you know, better than me. But I had the mindset that I was going to outplay him that, you know, however long we shared the ice together. So I think being super confident in your abilities. Um, but also kind of being realistic in a sense that, hey, you know, you're going to, you know, make some mistakes and, you know, let some pucks by you. Um, but I think that all kind of is part of balancing that, you know, delicate act of, of being a goalie. It's not easy. It's, it's a mental game, that's for sure. Uh, but you, you were definitely stoic back there uh, and approached it in a very fun, loving way that uh, we all love playing for you. Uh, so going back to maybe the technical a little bit, maybe uh, give us a little bit on some of your tricks of the trade per se. Like how do you read a puck off a blade? Um, or do you, are you reading body language of the shooters or their tendencies? What, what was that like? So I guess some tricks of the trade, things that, you know, really – you know, I focused on, and then I guess I'll say kind of try to relate to it to teaching aspect. Um, Cause that's the one thing I know that, you know, being a coach and, and you know, as well that, you know, it's really tough to make a clone of yourself out there. Like no one's ever going to see it or do things exactly how you would. It's, it's kind of adapting how the kids now or the goalies or players, um, you know, can take what you're saying and then use it on their own. So for me, the big thing that I always come down to is, is my initial positioning. So I try to make sure, you know, my kids that, all right, they're square to that, that puck, but they're also in some sort of like stance or athletic position where they can then make a reaction type play, whether it's a reaction to the shot or a reaction to that player moving the puck and passing. So that's, I think one of the most important foundational pieces is, is getting a good initial stance. And then from that stance, being comfortable to do any type of movement, you know, whether it's, like I said, moving side to side or butterfly or whatnot. Um, and then um, another key point that you just mentioned is reading the releases off of sticks. Um, you know, you, you kind of 
have the old saying, okay, yeah, the puck, the blade's straight ahead, he's deking, or the, the, the blade's open, he's looking for a shot. Like, you know, you're looking at that things, but I also look at the player's handedness. I think that's almost as important as, you know, hey, is that they in a shooting position or, or deking stick handling position? Um, you know, whether a player is left-handed or right-handed and where he's at in the zone, you know, that's going to dictate a lot of the options that player has for a play. Um, so, you know, I always try to focus my goal is on, okay, you're in a good position. You're recognizing what hand that player is. You're again, going back to the point of looking around the ice, you're identifying where the other four guys are on the ice, what handed they are. And then it almost narrows down, you know, the plays that are available to made, you know, to be made. So, um, you know, you have a player that's kind of on the half wall and he's not in a great shooting position, kind of at an awkward angle. You can see out of the corner of your eye, a player in the slot and he's, you know, uh, left-handed shot and that left blades kind of towards your back post, you know, okay, I understand here. If that puck gets across, I got to make a decision to get to that far left post just because of that, you know, player's handed shot. So, you know, that I think is going to, you know, kind of help the most in just recognizing, you know, what types of plays are available. So, you know, the better you can kind of grasp as, you know, what handed player, you know, is on the ice and in what position they are to make a play, you know, that's going to kind of eliminate a lot of options, you know, for uh, what type of save you need to make. So if you have a lefty coming down on you, what would be the hardest place for you to make a save on if he's taking a shot from the slot, where would you be like, that's a really tough save for me to make? Well, if they're just like walking down middle of the ice, you know, between the hash marks, like all alone, like I always, you know, think kind of that same side of the, you know, so their left left handed shot, it would be my blocker side as a, you know, I catch right goalie. So it would be just above the pad, you know, below the blocker, that six hole or whatever. And then if, you know, you're a right-handed shot, just same thing on the other, just below the glove. Um, you know, I think it's pretty tough to, you know, close that gap. And then with it being on like that same side, you know, a player can just kind of snap it off in that direction. And, you know, it, it's a favorable angle for them. So, um, you know, a lot of the times I'm looking, okay, quick shot or rebound shot. You know, that's my two main concerns or, you know, when I'm evaluating as a coach. So, you know, you really got to protect that, that six, seven hole for those type of shots. And then, um, you know, always looking for the rebound because, you know, if they're coming from any type of off angle, you know, the pass off the pad's probably the next best thing that they're going to look for. All right. Well, we'll keep this quick because, uh, Unless you're a goalie nerd, you really don't care. Uh, your thoughts on RVH, VH, overlap? What is your thoughts on those bad angles? Um, I think the VH and RVH, like those are, those are great, provide solid seal. But, you know, for what I recommend, I'm going to go back to whatever the goalie feels comfortable. Um, you know, I've seen, you know, kind of, from my experience, you know, I was hybrid of, you know, doing all the things and playing upstanding. Um, I've seen goalies really, you know, pretty much rely on RVH now. Um, so it's whatever that, that goalie feels comfortable with, you know, I would stick with that. 
Um, but I also tell my kids, practice everything, practice staying on your feet, practice the RVH, practice the VH, you know, put yourself in many different positions. Um, and then I guess the last thing I'll touch on this is um, I, I say, you know, get a ton of reps and put yourself in all different types of positions. Cause if you look at where a lot of the plays develop, in my opinion, you know, players are developing either, you know, players carry the puck in, taking it wide. So they're along the half wall, they chip it in player, you know, puck goes below the goal line. So a lot of the times you're going to be starting or players are going to be starting, you know, with the goalie in that, you know, post position. So you have to be comfortable in what you decide you want to do. So find something that you're comfortable and able to move out of, because that's where a lot of the plays, you know, offensive zone are going to start. Beautiful. Um, going back ever so slightly, you talked about reading off the blade. So you're saying if the puck is open, the blade is open or neutral, it's more likely going to be a shot. But if it's closed, it's going to be more a deke. Am I understanding that correctly? Or how do you read? You know, like when uh, a player, you know, I say is kind of attacking me and that pucks out in front of their body and, you know, they can kind of, you know, bring it to the forehand or backhand. You know, I got to read, okay, are they going to, you know, again, kind of going back to just because I'm a left-handed player, like, you know, left-handed shot. All right. If they're going to rip that on their forehand, you know, I'm looking probably that low blocker, but if they're going to take it to their backhand, you know, all right, they're probably going to try to go to my glove side. So, you know, reading that blade and, you know, which type of move they can make also, again, important to realize, you know, is that defenseman blocking off one avenue for them or the other? Is that going to help me? You know, hey, my defenseman's really taking away that, you know, their forehand. Is it only play the backhand? So, you know, reading the blade and then, you know, when it's open, ready for that shot, you can kind of, you know, almost see where that player's shooting. You know, if the blade is open and you can kind of, I don't know. It's hard to explain, I guess, but you can almost read, Hey, are they looking high? Or are they looking low just based on, you know, openness and ankle of the blade. Yeah. I, I found that uh, when I tried golden to be true as well, like you could read almost the body language. If like they had like that open chest, it's like, okay, well you can't really pull that and go low. If you did, uh, right. you know, you, you whiffed. So good, good on you. If you score on exactly. that one. <laughs> exactly. It's, and yeah, you're reading the blade and body position and that gives a little bit of tell. And then I always tell shooters what makes shooters an elite goal scorer or an elite shooter is, you know, they may not necessarily have the hardest shot. Like a lot of kids will always ask me, Oh, who was the, had the hardest shot you ever, you know, shot against. And I'm like, a lot of guys could, could bring the heat, but you know, there's only a handful of guys that, you know, were able to, you know, almost disguise their release, you know, where I wasn't, you know, they didn't have that tell of opening up and kind of exposing their body for, you know, a shot to go upstairs. You know, they just kind of put that pressure on their stick and it just, and it shot off. Um, you know, important for shooters to keep in mind as you want to beat goalies and, you know, full goalies, work on your release and, and disguising that release. That, that brings us to our next spot. Uh, what are some things that players can do to make goalies lives difficult? Um, for me, I'm always like, when in doubt, I'm shooting in your feet or I'm shooting right over the pads. Like I'm I like going high is the last option for me. And I feel like 
when I played goalie, understanding like how difficult, like the butterfly became a thing for a very good reason. Like, mm-hmm. That ice is very difficult to cover. And it's amazing how many players, I mean, McDavid scored one last night, literally on the ice in overtime, like the best player in the world. Well, maybe not best. I'll, I'll go with Austin Matthews on that. But like one of the two best players in the world is literally shooting on the ice consistently. Matthews does it consistently where they're finding these holes on the ice. I'm curious from your perspective, what are things, what are, what are items that they do to make your life difficult? One, uh, maybe that's on a breakaway where they're holding the puck to their sides. So now you're maybe thinking shot or deke rather than if it's in front where you're most likely going to be deke compared to where they locate that puck. Obviously disguising a shot release is something absolutely gargantuan at the elite levels, but very few shooters have that ability to really disguise it or have the technical capabilities, but what are maybe some things that shooters do to really make your life miserable? Uh, Probably the most important thing for a shooter is, is patience. I would say, Um, you know, because a goalie they're reading, you know, the situation, they're the ones, you know, reading and reacting. So, um, you know, until that player kind of makes a decision, like the goalie is, is, is reacting off that player's decision. So the longer you can disguise your decision-making or wait and maybe get the goalie to bite or make a first move, or, you know, you, you drop a shoulder and then that causes that goalie to freeze. Like if you can enable that goalie to, to react before you make a decision, you know, that's going to open, you know, a lot of opportunities up. And I mean, again, going back to, McDavid and last night and, and, you know, the goals that he scored, like that's what he's really great about is, I mean, he can move and he can do, you know, whatever he wants with the puck. But I think a lot of the times like goalies are reacting because they think, Oh, this guy's so fast. He can wire the puck, you know, and he already can get them to make, you know, a reaction type play where, you know, he has an extra second then to, to make his decision and, and, and do the opposite of what, the goalie's reaction is. So, you know, I, I think that's important for any shooter is, you know, having the patience and poise, you know, with the puck to, to make a play and then trying to get that goalie to react first. Uh, shooting wise, you know, honestly, like there's getting the puck on that is never a bad idea. I always say like, it's hard to, to make, to make saves as a goalie. So a lot of the times I see players almost, loading up and trying to get the perfect shot off so that, you know, it goes, you know, far down and, you know, the upper corners, like, like you said, if, if there's nothing available and the only thing you can really do is kind of get that thing, you know, through to the net low, like that is a great, you know, pretty high quality chance. Um, You know, I, I do a lot of drills with goalies where I have them trying to just look down at pucks, you know, when we're skating, I'll have pucks at their feet and they're kind of, weaving in and out of pucks just because it's really hard to see pucks in our feet and kind of around that area as a goalie. So, you know, if you're able to get a, you know, a shot off, you know, through traffic, it's already hard for that goalie to pick up. All right. Say it does get to them. It gets to their feet. All right. Maybe it has a chance to go in. And at the very least, there's probably going to be a rebound opportunity. And again, goalies, maybe not picking up the puck, struggling to find it rebounds out in front he's going to be that much behind on making that, you know, rebound reactionary save. So, you know, those are, I guess, you know, a couple key things um, to, to, you know, 
I guess, for shooters to focus on. But, I mean, if you want to talk about getting scored on and, you know, all that, I can go for hours about things that I've let by me. So, you know, don't know how, how much time you got today. Yeah, yeah, I don't think we got time for that. I, I think we better just <laughs> move, move, move on at this point. Uh, right. But, yeah, the, the one last thing, uh, rebound control. What, what does it mean to you? How do you become better at rebound control? Because, you know, a lot of times pucks just hit you. But is there a way mm-hmm. to control where they go? You know, what is it to you? How do you get better at it? Because it's obviously not a good thing when a goalie just is leaving for a goalie. Great for the opposition, obviously, if you're mm-hmm. just leaving pucks right in front of the net. So, again, yeah, you want to score goals, get the rebounds out there. Like, that's that's how a lot of goals in the NHL, go, you know, go in. And then, you know, any goalie struggles making those second and third saves. But, you know, as far as for a goaltender controlling the rebound, um, one thing that I like to focus on is the goalie's hands. And I think it's super important to have active and strong hands. And I try to, you know, bring this up with kids. And, you know, I'm sure – you know, you could probably attest this as well is that a lot of these youth hockey and minor hockey players, like the stick handling and the hands they have is, I mean, it's incredible. Like there's some players out there and I try to tell goalies like, Hey, yeah, like you see the forward stick handling and doing crazy things with the puck. Like we can have just as, you know, sick hands, quote unquote, as, as they can, you know, granted, are we stick handling and doing things that they're doing? no, but our hands being active and controlling rebounds um, are just as important. And I mean, to be honest, just as silky. So um, for a goaltender and controlling rebounds, like when your hands are out in in front of you and active, you know, it prevents you from, you know, I guess kind of locking up inside and jamming, you know, yourself, Um, you know, you're then able to, you know, control the rebounds, use the blade and angle of your stick to, you know, maybe get the pucks that are on, you know, your, you know, far left and far right pad, um, where those, again, those hands are tight, you're not going to have that, that type of ability. So, um, you know, I, I think it's also important with just catching and blocking pucks in front of your body. If you're, you know, trying to trap it and, you know, get that puck too close to your chest, you know, you kind of tend to get handcuffed where, you know, you see the best goalies catching pucks in front of their body, watched it into the glove, um, you know, that's what, you know, having active and strong hands are, are to me. And then, you know, as a result, silky hands, as I like to call them for, for goalies. Active hands. Um, okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'll, I'll try to describe this to the listeners here, but basically active hands are where you're going to put the hands out in front of you. So rather than by side of your body, you're putting them out in front. Uh, one, you can kind of track pucks into that much better, but also you're able to cut down the angle ever so slightly, uh, but it actually makes a massive difference uh, for those goalie nerds out there. Go look up box control. If you don't know it already, Beautiful. Uh, that's concept. That was the magic word I was looking for was, was box control. You hit it, hit it on the head, you know, active hands enables you to, you know, control the rebound and get the puck out in front of your, you know, before it catches your body uh, and then takes away the angle with, with the box control. Beautiful. So, uh, that's all the technical goaltending stuff. Uh, next thing I want to talk about is lessons you've learned through your coaching journey so far. So, um, obviously you haven't been here for 20 years, but I think that most coaches are still fumbling their way through the basics. Uh, I feel like I am half the time and I feel like even veteran coaches, like I'm still fumbling through a lot of stuff. So I think it would be absolutely fascinating to walk through some of the lessons you've learned, things you're working through right now. 
uh, to get a grasp on that and feel free to ask me any questions. And maybe I know, maybe I don't know, but either way, it'll make for a good conversation here. Yeah, this was a, a great question. I know we talked a little bit before jumping on air, you know, just different things. Um, yeah, it's tough because I, I mean, you know, just, I mean, going back to me as a player and kind of personality is like, you want to be the perfectionist and you want to be the best coach right away and, and all that. But, you know, as far as learning, like, you know, the, the biggest thing that I think so far for me, and I, I kind of alluded beforehand is like, you know, taking the sense that like, you know, at first, maybe when I was doing this, like I tried to, you know, have 20 clones of myself out there and, you know, do everything that I would have done and, you know, try to mold them into, you know, my type of player where, you know, I've kind of learned, especially over the last few years that like you've, you know, there's, you're not going to make the same player. You're not going to make, you know, whether it's yourself, you're not going to make another McDavid or Matthews. Um, you really got to, you know, take a look at what type of kid he, you know, he or her is, you know, what do they respond well to? What don't they respond to? You know, what are their goals? Where are they trying to get, um, you know, out of being coached? Uh, and I think that's going to kind of help you reach their ceiling. Um, I'm not sure if you have any, you know, comments on that or anything, but, um, you know, that that's sort of been my biggest lesson right now is, you know, how can I, you know, get the most out of these kids and get them to be the best player they can be, you know, even if it's not, you know, my ideal, uh, you know, hockey player. Uh, I, I think we all start out that way of like, we know our style and it's very familiar and personalized to us. Um, so we all try to create somewhat of clones or somewhat of a skill set. But like for me, like I'm a playmaker, so passing super important. I don't think that I'm ever not going to put functionality onto that. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same point, like, you know, as a passer, I appreciate a good shooter. You know, I need that in my life. Right. So uh, I think you're spot on. Like, how do you understand the kid's personality and skill set because at the end of the day it's got to become personalized to them just like it was personalized to us so how can you provide information that they can then reflect on and apply um that that's always my thing it's like it's either, either creating permission or pressure like do you want the pressure so it narrows their focus or do you want to increase maybe some creativity get more permission to try and experiment with things and allowing the self-discovery process i think that's that's the real key for me uh, is coming through that self-discovery process. So that that's been massive. Um, are there some things within your coaching that you didn't expect you'd spend so much time on or conversations that you're having quite often? Huh? It's tough. Um, huh, I don't know. Like I, it, it, it's been a, a little bit of a learning experience too, in the sense that you know, as a goalie, and I, I know I've, I've talked to plenty of coaches about this before, is like, you know, I've been by myself in the net majority of my life. Like, I've never really been on the bench. You know, occasionally if I, you know, wasn't starting, I'd be on the bench and kind of see how that functions. Um, so that's been a bit of a, a learning process for me is kind of, you know, not that I didn't know how to run lines or anything like that, but just kind of managing the bench and seeing the game from that perspective. 
Um, so, you know, it, it's been a little bit of an interesting, interesting transition where I think I, you know, have certainly some areas to grow. Um, but again, that's kind of, you just got to roll with, with that experience and, you know, take it as it comes. Yeah. It's, I think, uh, you mentioned it actually way earlier in the episode about like how players communicate and like, that's kind of the biggest thing that I found is the teams that are consistently talking before, after, during shifts are the most successful, uh, all the way through. And it, you know, goal is a lot of self-talk to yourself and mm -hmm. managing yourself, uh, with players, you can't control others, but you can start to get in their head and start to meld and have to find that chemistry. So that for me, that's, I think, super important. Um, and what I was able to learn very early on was that I don't care what you're talking about, as long as it's not, you know, Dora the Explorer or something like that. Like right, you're talking right. somewhat hockey or getting to know your teammates. It's all a big benefit uh, to everyone. I, I totally agree there. And, you know, it's, I think sometimes where coaches can make the mistake is, you know, like every coach, you know, wants to coach and help players because, you know, they want to help. They want to, you know, input, you know, some sort of positive impact for these kids where sometimes I think, you know, when a player gets off the ice after a 30, 40 second shift and they're huffing and puffing and they, you know, a lot of stuff's happening. Like, you know, they don't need two or three coaches, you know, telling them, Hey, you should have done this, should have done that. Like what may be most beneficial is if they, you know, sit with their line mates and say, Hey, you know, I thought you were doing this. This is why I jumped into the zone here or something like that, where, you know, having a coach, you know, tell you something, yeah, they might get something out of it, but when you're kind of collaborating together, you know, with your teammates, that's probably where you're going to see, you know, the most growth. So that's a great point where, you know, another area to, to focus on for, for coaches is, you know, getting your, your, your guys and girls to communicate. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because um, one of my favorite listeners of the podcast readers, the newsletter and just all around great guy, um, Jamie Rice that runs Babson's D3 program. So you've probably played him once or twice. Yes, play, played against him. Yep. Great, yeah. great coach. Yeah. He, he literally doesn't know what his team does for warmups. Uh, I asked him once on the podcast, he had no idea. So it was quite interesting to see how he viewed it. He's like game days players. Like it's all them. It's on them. They've got to figure it out. If I'm talking too much, all I'm adding is more confusion and they need more clarity and collaboration. So uh, practice. That's my time. I'll help coach. We'll do smarter games. We'll ask questions. We'll think through things. We'll make corrections, yada, yada, yada. But game day, that's for the players. Is that similar yeah. to your experience? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's an uh, interesting point. And like I said, he's, he's a great coach and been there many years and has a great program where, you know, I'm sure. And I know, I mean, I was again, a little bit of a chatty guy, but you know, there comes a point where I'm sure players, they've had enough of their coach talking, you know, whether it's throughout the week and at practice, um, you know, maybe you just get a little tired of that. But, you know, on the ice playing, it's just, you know, the players, the coaches aren't out there. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's good for a coach to kind of have that self-awareness, take a step back, you know, understand what the team needs and doesn't need. Um, you know, if maybe they need a, a kick in the rear at some point later in the game, you can, you can step in there, but you know, your time as a coach is pretty much over when it, when it comes to game time, it's, it's then on the players and, you know, them making corrections. And if you need to kind of jump in further down the line in the game, you can, but, 
um, you know, they kind of got to take the onus on themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Eddie, I'll give you the floor for uh, anything you want to talk about. No, I really appreciate you, uh, you coming on here. Uh, feel free to tell people what's going on in your life, or if you just want to say thanks, you can end it there. Floor is yours. I was trying to think of something like a last question for you that, you know, real, you know, I guess thinker. Um, but I guess the one, you know, thing that I guess we can end on and, you know, like me, I'm sure you probably touched on this conversation, you know, other podcasts, but, you know, for, you know, someone like myself, who's, you know, probably been out of the playing career, you know, five, six years now, maybe not quite an old timer coach, but, you know, a little bit more than, you know, my, my first couple of years coaching is, you know, I guess best advice going forward, you know, for, you know, for myself or any type of uh, young coach with a little bit of experience, but trying to, you know, really elevate themselves to, you know, becoming the coach or an, an elite level coach. Uh, I got two words, get curious. Uh, There's so much that we can never know, (laughs) or we may know it, but we don't have the bandwidth for, but if you can have your players thinking, not overthinking, but thinking, that's great. Uh, I I literally wrote a drill book called uh, Trills, Awareness and Questions. Uh, The last part being the most important is the question asking and allowing players to find their best solutions. So you're, you're, at the end of the day, you can't put the hockey stick in your hand anymore. Uh, They've got to do it. They've got to make the decision. So giving them the opportunity to think through and make these decisions beforehand uh, before they actually see the situation, that's massive. Um, And then if something goes wrong, like instead of casting blame, get curious, ask why. Like maybe they didn't see a player. Maybe... X, Y, and Z happen, and they made this read. So maybe the read's bad. Whatever it is, if you're getting curious, it's going to lead to further growth, further understanding, uh, and you're just going to gain a much broader, richer point of view, thought process, etc. So uh, don't be. I think I forget the exact quote from Coach Lasso and Ted Lasso, but it was uh, "Don't be judgmental, get curious, and get curious." Uh, some, sometimes curiosity comes easier to others, but get, get curious. That's always what I tell my, my young coaches, like, don't tell, ask. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I think there's a lot of coaches, you know, out there that, you know, they've been doing it a handful of years. So, you know, they have all the drills and they kind of know, you know, the basics and all that, but, you know, there's still a little bit of time where they can kind of maybe improve themselves before they get into the uh, old timer status of, hey, my way is the highway. And, you know, that's that's it. So that's that's great. I'm for sure. We'll we'll take that uh, piece of advice and, you know, use it going forward and, you know, get ready for spring hockey here coming up. Hey, man, the, the best hockey you'll ever play are the three years after you quit playing and you start coaching. That's when you realize how much of an idiot you were. <laughs> Uh, I hear you. I miss it. I miss it. Even though I'm out of that, uh, that three-year stage now I'm, you know, getting to the old timers, but yeah, yeah you got old man shrink now. So you're, you're good, right? <laughs> exactly. But awesome. I, I, I appreciate you, uh, having me on here anytime. I'd love to, to chat hockey. Hopefully, you know, there's been some, uh, you know, positive tidbits out of here. Listeners can, can take from, and, you know, anytime I'd be, be happy to chat. Uh, goaltending or any type of hockey. So thanks for having me.
Yep, absolutely. Thanks, Ed. Good deal. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.